0: White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 534.
1: It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now, here are your
0: hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Hello, and welcome to the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined for this new series by my co-host, Andy Fix. Welcome aboard, Andy. Thanks, Van. How you doing, bud? Hey, doing very well. How are you, sir? I am doing excellent. Excited to talk some Babylon 5. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is our... Our bi weekly get together to talk about Babylon 5. And we were just saying that I think that probably our, what we're gonna do is just keep experimenting with our format until we feel like we found the perfect way to do it. And so we've come up with some standard questions or topics this time to talk about for each episode. Uh, it was, it was kind of skewed last time because last time we both had a you know good bit to say, I think, about the gathering, which is like a movie and took up a lot more time. But this time, I think we can really kind of go in deep on three episodes. And I imagine going forward, we'll be sticking to probably three episodes per show. That sounds good to you? That works well for me, sir. Okay, so we can put in about 20 minutes or so in each episode and and, uh, thereabouts, more or less, depending. I don't think some episodes will need that much and some might need a little bit more, you know, as we get along. So I think we've got at least one really, really good episode this time and a couple that I think also have some very interesting stuff going on. I mean, honestly, you can say that about almost any Babylon 5 episode is that even if the A plot isn't the greatest, there's almost every episode has something interesting going on somewhere in it. Agreed. Agreed. The B plots are, are often uh, where you get a lot of the character development for the main cast. Yes, absolutely. So, um, before we get rolling on on tonight's episode, we're going to cover 103. And by the way, we're we're I think we're tending to go. We were just noticing that HBO. Has the first season in particular ordered a little out of order for a couple of the episodes or more? And we're going to do some research on that. I just noticed it and brought it to Andy's attention, and we're going to try to figure out what's going on. It may be, I don't think it's production order versus airing order because the production order would have had infection number one instead of uh, Midnight on the Firing Line, I believe. So, but for some reason, they have them a little bit out of the order that we usually go by. So I suspect we will stick with the standard order. And that means that tonight we'll be looking at 103. Born to the Purple, 104, Infection, and 105, The Parliament of Dreams. And I'm very excited to talk about all three of these, honestly, because I found something in re-watching these for like the 20th time now, I found interesting things about all three of them that I either hadn't noticed before or things that they made me think of that I wanted to discuss with you that I hadn't thought of before. So I'm pretty excited. What about you? Did you, did you find anything new or find any new inspiration watching them this time?
1: I did. I, I found a new appreciation for uh, two of the episodes
0: that I I really didn't have before. So yeah. yeah, I'm excited to talk about them too. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's one of the things about this show is it's kind of a cliche to say it, but this is like a show that just keeps on giving. You know, it it never. Every time you watch Babylon Five, there's new things to explore, to think about, to consider, and it just it just keeps giving. And I always worry that new viewers. I mean it was it was probably hard enough for them back in the 90s when a lot of shows, you know, didn't look like 2021 <laughs> standard, but I worry that viewers will be put off by like how the first season looks and go, oh, this looks dumb, I'm not going to watch this. And you just got to get past that. We talked about that a little bit last week with The Gathering. You just got to get past that and focus on the characters and the story, and if you can do that, I think that this show is just so rewarding, I think. Right. It- and, and I think the common refrain
1: you always hear is, well, if you can get through season one, you'll really get into it. But you have
0: to watch season one. I know. And you know, the funny thing about you're exactly right. I've heard that forever. And I've said that a few times, honestly. Yep. But the funny thing about it is, that's what we say to the great unwashed that have never experienced it at all. For those of us that have seen right. the whole thing, we kind of go back, and there's things about season one that we really enjoy. I mean, like, I'm not suffering my way through season one. I'm, I'm enjoying the crap out of going through season one again. What about you? Absolutely. Like I said, uh, there, uh, you see,
1: knowing the full story arc— you know, having watched all five seasons, you get to see little tidbits that they drop here and there, and they're in every episode. And you say, oh, oh, I have had forgotten that they posted that in this early season one episode, and it pays off four episodes later. So, yeah, I, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying catching all the little Easter eggs that they planted in there that, you know, or the seeds, I guess, would be a better way to put it, that, that sprouted later. So that that's been a lot of fun for me.
0: Yes, absolutely agreed. Yeah, I have one little factoid. I mean, one of the things I'm going to be doing. We've 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 agreed on several questions. And I think we can continue to um, to add new questions we want to address and take some away or whatever as we go along. But one of the things I'm going to do is come up with little factoids that I want to mention. And, and you know, some big time fans will know these backwards and forwards, and other people may not have ever heard them. But this is something I just figured out the other day when I looked back at the gathering one more time. Okay, we talked about how Richard Compton directed The Gathering. And so I did just a smattering of research on him, and I thought this was really fascinating. Okay, here's your bonus factoid from the previous episode we did from about The Gathering. The director of The Gathering was Richard Compton. He went on to be an assistant producer on the series, at least in the first season. He was married until his death in 2007, To Veronica Cartwright. Veronica Cartwright's little sister is Angela Cartwright, who played Penny on Lost in Space alongside Bill Mooney, who went on to play Lanier (laughs) on Babylon 5. How about that for five, uh, you know, what is it, five shades of connection or whatever, you know, Kevin Bacon? (laughs) Five degrees of separation. That's it. Five degrees, yeah. How about that, though? I just... And and none of them are related to the Cartwright, Nancy Cartwright that plays Bart Simpson, just for the just in case you were wondering, neither one of the Cartwright sisters is related to the one that plays. I actually looked that up just to be sure. I'm like, I wonder if they're related to her. And I actually found an interview that Nancy Cartwright did, and one of the questions they asked her was, Are you related to Angela and Veronica? And she says, No. So I thought that was interesting. Okay. Let's get on into. Um, and by the way, I calculated that if we do t- if we do episode three episodes a week, uh, for every two weeks we will cover, we will have twenty six week twenty six episodes. Right, to t- every yep. two weeks for a year to do a year. So in a year we will do twenty six times three is what seventy eight. So in a year we will be what well into season four. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so a year from now, we'll be in season four, and it'll take us a little over a year to do the whole series. Uh, and that's it. I, I, and I do hope you'll stick around so that we can do Crusade, too, because I, I dearly love Crusade for all of its flaws. Right. I'm, I'm there with you. Awesome. Excellent. All right. We're going to have fun. So um, I, I do have – I'm going to blindside you with this one, but you can note it for the future because I thought this might be fun. Um, because I own so many Babylon 5 items. I don't know about you. You may not have any. I don't know. But I have tons. I've been collecting Babylon 5 stuff since 19, you know, 1993 or whatever. And I thought it would be fun to say one Babylon 5 item that you own or have owned and tell us about it. So do you have a – this is off the top of your head. If you want to think about it a minute, I'll go first. No, I've, I have I own
1: almost nothing mm, okay. Babylon 5-related. I was that, that came out at a time when I just wasn't into collecting sci-fi stuff, so okay. I don't have much. I do have one item, and I actually have two of these that is uh, worth quite a bit of money. Um, it is the uh, the monogram uh, model of the Star Fury. Oh, yeah. I have not built it. They're mm-hmm. both boxed. They're both fantastic looking models, and I, I bought some extra pieces for them, some extra decals, some uh, custom made decals for for all the different. Uh, all the different pilots that they showed throughout the, the series. Awesome. Um, I haven't built them yet, but uh, they are pretty rare these days, and they go for quite
0: a bit on eBay. So I'm pretty okay. pretty darn proud of those things. That's awesome. I had, the, I had the Babylon 5 station model that they put out, but I don't know whatever happened to it. It's long gone. It's, I actually did build it yeah. back like 30 years ago. I, I guess I'm going to start out. I think that probably I have quite a few that are that either are valuable or cost me a lot of money, but I think I'm going to start out tonight mentioning um, the most expensive, probably, thing that I have. And that is I have the full... And those of you that have seen me at Dragon Con know about this over the years. I have the full John Sheridan black uniform. It was custom made... That's cool. By Yeah, by the costumers that were involved on the show in Los Angeles. It's got some of the same fabric. Wow. Yeah. The one difference is they substituted... Um, Cotton, a cotton blend for the wool blend they used on the show. They told me because they said that the wool blend is just too hot <laughs> and and scratchy. Right. <laughs> the poor the poor actors were wearing a really yeah, hot, I really scratchy thing. Yeah. So mine is actually cotton. It's a little stiffer, but it's not as hot and itchy. Um, but I've even got the vest and over the, and it 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 cost a pretty penny to have it made. Um, and then. Um, I have had it modified over the years to be even more and more accurate because there were, there were a couple of places in it that they kind of substituted some, you know, slightly less than desirable elements for what it could have been. So I went back and had those removed. Yeah. I've, I've had like three seamstresses over the years uh, replace like the piping on the vest and replaced um, something else, the metalwork with like actually shiny gold stat bars and everything. And I had a seamstress about two years ago to let it out a little bit because I gained quite a few pounds since, uh, <laughs> you know, m- me me back in the mid 90s when I got it, you know, was like, you know, I was like uh, what 165 or something, and now I'm more like one, more, I was more like 190, so. I, I took it to seems she, she says, No problem. I'll just put a little black panel here, black panel there, you'll be fine. And it fits so well now. So I wore it to Dragon Con in, in nineteen, the last time we actually got to have one. And if we are indeed gonna have a Dragon Con this fall, I gotta get on the uh I gotta get back on the elliptical <laughs> and stop eating all the desserts. <laughs> anyway. That's awesome, man. That 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 is spectacular. I, yeah. I really dig that. Yeah, you can go on probably on on Google or whatever and find a few pictures of me at Dragon Conny over the years. I have gotten some nice compliments. Yeah, so that was that's pretty cool. That's but that's by far the most expensive thing. And that was just an that was one of those indulgences where I got an extra paycheck for teaching a part time class. And I'm like, yeah, eh, I could do something cool with this, you know. And I contact those people. It took them like a year to make it. I was waiting and waiting and waiting. But it finally came, and I was just about over the moon. So anyway, um, now I just got to get somebody to 3D print me a um, a PPE. G. Uh, there you go. The pistol, you know, yeah. So, yeah. all right, well, let's look at born to the purple. Um, oh, by the way, I gotta, let me make a quick note here. Okay. Um, so the first one we're gonna look like it look at is born to the purple. And I believe this was a Larry Tilio episode. So let's go through some of the questions. And uh, we, have a, we have a we have an agreement between us that if we don't have anything for a particular question, we can pass. And there's no shame in that. Uh, if you've got two things, that's fine, two or multiple. But uh, we can even go back and forth. But our, the first question I have is, what was your high point of the Born of the Purple episode? The high point for me was um,
1: it, the way that uh, uh, the commander kind of worked the, the whole scheme out to get the crystal back. I thought that oh. was kind of cool yeah. um, it, because it, it just shows his, his more devious side and his willingness to be a little shady. And again, Jakar was the butt of the, 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 uh, <laughs> the scheme. So I, I really enjoyed the way they resolved that. I, th- I thought that was pretty cool.
0: I guess I'm remiss. I should, we should kind of give a quick summary. So, uh, I'll do this one, and I'll let you do the next one if you want to. This one is where it's a mostly a Londo episode. They tend to focus an A-plot in the first season, particularly on one character. And this is a mostly a Londo episode where um, uh, he's got his new girlfriend, the, the dancer, Adira, and she, Adira Tyi, <laughs> and uh, she's actually like a slave and is being forced by Trakis, this weird alien, to try to steal secret intelligence files from Londo I mean that's pretty much it right that, that could bring down the Republic or ruin him or whatever so but he right. really that's loves pretty- her that that's the thing about this episode I think that we need to carry away and again we have a no no spoiler policy but I do think people need to bear in mind Londo really did love her and wanted to have you know a relationship with her going forward she meant a whole lot to him so I think that's pretty important would you agree Absolutely,
1: and I think that's what sold this episode for me. Like I said, I came back to this episode and got a, a whole new appreciation for it. Knowing Lando's story arc, um, this this episode and his relationship and how it, you know how everything played out just really hammered home the, the the whole tragic feel of the character. When I first watched it, I thought he is you know he's just a clown, just a buffoon. You know this is this is kind of a silly episode. But now having seen all the you know the following seasons. Uh, this really sets up his character arc very well. And I, I really had a whole new appreciation for, for the subtlety and the, the elegance of it. Th-
0: that's what I want to kind of warn the new viewers about is don't think about episode. Cause you've, if you're a new viewer and remember, we're not going to spoil. Um, but, but I, am going to warn you if you're a new viewer and you've heard people say, Oh, season one, just get through it. Nothing great happens. That's not entirely true. And episodes that you will think this was a one off and will never hear from this again sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not so pay attention because things that you think are just little episodic you'll never hear from that again come become very important later on but some of them don't see and so you don't really know which ones you to you know what i mean it's like part of the fun is the unpredictability are you going to see this again or are you going to see that again you know so um, right that's really fun. My high point of the episode, I'll go with the B plot just because, you know, you got, the, you got the A plot, which I think is excellent. Um, I'm going to go with the B. I guess it's the B plot, which is somebody was using the gold channel to, to make calls, it's kind of the equivalent of like if you live in a dorm and somebody's making long distance calls and the dorm <laughs> leader is trying to find out who's abusing the telephone privileges or whatever. It's kind of, but it's on a space station. I thought that was kind of funny because that's a story that, yeah. you know, that's a plot that a lot of people can relate to is somebody's making long distance calls and running up the phone bill, you know. It's kind of that, yep. that's kind of the plot. But what I really liked about it was that Garibaldi figures out that it's Ivanova. And then he kind of lets her off the hook. He kind of looks the other way because he understands just how important it was. And I thought that was... I I continue to be surprised at how much I like Garibaldi in season one because I've never been a huge Garibaldi fan, but he really is a likable guy in the first season, I think. Yep.
1: I, I agree. Garibaldi and his arc was probably my favorite of the entire series. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I I think they they set him up well and they set up his arc well as well. So um, I I know Garibaldi. Well, let's not get into spoilers. Right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, he he was my favorite early on because he had kind of the lighthearted side. You know, mm-hmm. the, the watching the Daffy Duck and and all that stuff. And hey, let's go get a drink and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but then. Uh, just like Londo, just like Jakar, just like everybody, mm-hmm. he grew from there, and and it, they built on that foundation, and things changed. But mm-hmm. the character, he remained true true to his character, and, and and just the development of his arc was was spectacular. Yeah, I agree,
0: and I just and, and very I, real, and very real. Yes, and I just think, and I think in some ways, um, you know, there's a little JMS in a lot of the characters. And I can see right. some in him, right, dealing with his family and all that, and his father and all. You can kind of see there's the Russian side in Ivanova, but there's the like, you know, I, there's a lot about Garibaldi though that I, I like in this season, just because in this season he's more lighthearted, he's relaxed, he's having fun, he's joking around, and and yet he's being the sleuth, you know, the detective in a way, and I really appreciate that, you know. So enjoy that; it's it's really good. Okay, low point of the episode. What was your low point of this episode? you know the low point
1: was when they were being chased by the bad guys and these two gangsters came around the corner and they looked like rejects from a bad <laughs> Miami Vice episode i mean the the mirror shades the hairdo the, the 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 oh the costumes they it was i mean i actually laughed out loud it was so ridiculous
0: i i think that a lot of the production a lot of the bad production stuff, especially in season one, involves the bars, the dance clubs, the Zocalo stuff, because right. that's where you can see that they, they, they did some paint, they did some Christmas tree lights, and ooh, it's outer space. Right, <laughs> it, 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 that part of the station looks cheaper to me than any other part, and and I will. say, This is not a spoiler, just to say, I think it's fair to say we see less and less of that as the series goes along, and that's a good thing. Right, <laughs> we don't we don't spend near as much time in like the dance clubs later on in this show as you do in season one, and I think that's probably for the best because. Right. Uh, oh, uh, uh,
1: another little fun. Tidbit was the, uh, we, we had another newspaper moment with Garibaldi, so that was, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to point out, every time we see a newspaper on the show, I'm going to, I'm
0: going to point it out. Newspaper watch 2258. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're on the same wavelength with this, because you're talking about the scene where Londo and Sinclair, right, go into the bar to, to try to yep. find out what's going on with, uh, with Adira. I'm that's the same scene but for me the cringy moment was when Sinclair does his big fake laugh. <laughs> very yeah, very theatrical. I get what he was trying to do there, but man did he over that I mean, that made William Shatner embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, oh. that was a little over the top, but
1: you know, like I said, he's theatrically trained, so yeah, that would have that would have fit very well in a Shakespeare play. I'm sure. It. You're right. It's true. Okay, <laughs> we have a category. We've, oh, go ahead. Well, one question, real quick. Yeah. How realistic do you think it is that the basically the mayor of this town could go undercover in, yeah. in a bar? Like,
0: nobody would recognize him. And nobody recognized the commander. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. Even though he – well, I guess he dressed down, and they all they see is the uniform, maybe. I don't know. But uh, but that's a good right. point. And Londo wearing a, a a hoodie or whatever he was wearing, a, a cape with a cowl or whatever, I just wonder right. if he didn't feel like putting the hair on. <laughs> <laughs> so they just let him do that instead, you know? That would have worked for hey,
1: me. You know, speak, speaking of that, I, I think that the um, – uh, Centauri women, their hairstyling looks fantastic. The bald or almost bald? Uh, yep, the bald with the, with the the long hair coming out the back. As ridiculous as the male Centauri look, I think the female Centauri, <laughs> I think they look fantastic. I, I really
0: enjoyed that. They shave their heads and rise above. That's how it's described. <laughs> I love it. Okay, most Babylon 5 scene. In other words, I th- I think what we're getting at here is like, what scene you just went, yep, yeah, that's Babylon 5, right? That's, that's kind of the best way to describe it. So what do you have for most Babylon 5 scene of this episode? You know, this one didn't have a lot of really big Babylon 5
1: scenes for me, so I'm going to pass on this one.
0: Okay. Okay, cool. Here's mine. Londo thanks Jakar for saving his career and the Centauri public, and Jakar is like, uh and leaves. Any moment, good choice. Where, any moment where Londo makes Jakar groan and run away is a classic Babylon Five moment. I think <laughs> that's that's a good point, and that happens a lot. And vice versa, and like, yeah. they're always poking each other. Right? Okay. Um, let's see. We had favorite character moment for me. That was the uh, it, it, kind of a tie, but they're both
1: they're both related. It's from the B plot. The mm-hmm. moment when Ivanova is talking to her father uh, mm-hmm. just before he passes away. That was such, you know, that was a a touching moment. Um, I I thought that was extremely well done, uh, extremely personal, extremely human. And I thought that was fantastic. And then the moment at the end when Garibaldi kind of lets her off the hook, uh, but did it in a way where, you know, he's not dressing her down or anything like that. He's just very subtle about eh, I don't know. It must have been another gremlin, but it's all taken care of. Mm -hmm. Right
0: yeah, I thought that was really cool, too. yep, yep, I agree. I think my favorite character moment was just seeing Londo being so happy because, you know, the, the so much of Londo is being goofy and wacky, and oh my good dear friend, Mr. you know, and and then he has other stuff that happens later, of course. But just seeing him just happy and content is so yep. nice and 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 that he truly, you know, loved Adira. that was so obvious to me. that was my favorite character moment, although, Jakar always is in competition, is going to be in competition for this because he always has so many great moments.
1: <laughs> right, uh, and that's a credit to the actor. He he totally oh, owns yeah. that character.
0: Andreas is aw- was awesome, yeah. Yep. yep. Okay, let's see. We have, rolling right along, we have funniest moment.
1: Funniest moment? I think uh, it's it, it was, uh, oh, golly, there were so many of them. I know. Um, I think it was funny <laughs> right there, uh, right when uh, Jakar knew that he had been had yet again by, by uh, the commander and by... Um, the, the Centauri. I, I thought that was really funny. Just, just the way that he was like, Ugh. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. I think this may be a category we have to omit in some episodes, but th- we're still in the time where there's funny moments. Um, I think, for me, um, there were two. One is Veer is playing like a Game Boy, which is funny enough, and then Sinclair takes it away from him and he sulks. Later, when we come back to the same room, Jakar is playing <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. Jakar and 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 his uh, his, and his assistant, um, his aide, are kind yeah. of fighting over it. Yeah, they're playing it. That cracked me up. And then the other one is both Londo. This is a classic Babylon Five line, right? Both Londo and Jakar separately. When they send their assistants to negotiate, they say, don't give away the home world, which is, right. which is hilarious, <laughs> I thought. So that was great. That was classic. All right, let's see. I have a few random factoids I'm going to throw out there. And if you have any, you certainly can too. But I just have kind of like, I just filled up my notebook with a handful of factoids. Um, right. I, mi- I mentioned this is a Larry Dottilio episode. I think he writes part of season one and part of season two. He had worked with JMS before, I think, on Captain Power or maybe the Ghost, the, the real Ghostbusters when J- when JMS was doing a lot of animated stuff. And so they had a good relationship, and JMS brought him in to be a, a writer. But after season two, Dottilio goes his own way. And I wasn't sorry to see him go because, you know— Again, season 1 is a little more episodic and so you can have somebody else writing episodes that are just exploring the characters, getting us letting us get to know the universe. But after like season 1, season 2, you really do need one voice more or less and 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 that's what we're going to get, you know. But right. Detelia was responsible for a lot of the sillier things that made it seem like Babylon 5's universe was a lot bigger than we thought, like for example, they always like to—he throws out things like Euphrates' sector. That's a Dottilio. Or things like Jovian things, like the Jovian sunspot. They don't always make sense. They kind of sound good until you think about it. Like, wait, that's Jupiter. How does Jupiter have a sunspot? <laughs> right. That doesn't make any sense. So that's all Larry Dottilio. I am I appreciate what he did for the show, but I'm not a huge fan of his episodes, his writing. Um, I did note that Fabiana, the, the actress that played Adira— she didn't shave her head. That was a headpiece, just like uh, Londo wears. Peter Jurassic yeah. has a full head of hair. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Trachis, the bad guy alien, is not a Centauri, but they never say what he is. Right. We never do find out what he is. He's just some random alien. Uh, we did see, um, oh, I don't know if it was this episode, somewhere in here we do see Nagrath a couple more times. So I'm trying to enjoy all the Nagrath while I can because it's not a spoiler to say yep. they quit using him. He just wasn't that that thing wasn't working out too well, but I do love Negrath so much. Um, you know, he was in three of the first five episodes I noticed. So
1: wow. I, I, I thought he was going to be a much bigger character than what he turned out to be.
0: I know, I know. And I wouldn't have hated it. I kind of liked him if they could have gotten a better puppet. That's the only thing. Um, right. And then, uh, let's see, I had noted, I always, I have notable guest stars and really the, uh, the, the, the two, well, the, the, the notable guest star of this episode was Clive Revel playing, playing Trachus. You may or may not know this, but the guy that played Tracus, Clive Revel, also played the Emperor in The Empire Strikes Back. I did not know that. He was replaced in the special edition by the guy, you know, uh, what's his name, that plays him in everything else. In the right. prequels and everything else. But um, but yeah, he was the original Emperor. Uh, and then there was, there was Kodath... She's the assistant and we're not going to see much more of her because before these three episodes we're talking about tonight are over, Kodaf goes out the airlock. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. So finally, unless you, you do you have any, any other things you want to say about it before we do our rating? I do not. Well, you know what? Yeah, I, I do want to say that. Well, I've already gone over
1: that. How much how much I enjoyed this episode when I when yeah when it popped up in you know in the feed, I I didn't think I would, but I really had fun with it. I thought I thought Londo's um like what you touched on Londo's uh, emotions uh, for the girl. I thought they were extremely well written, and it was it was neat to see mm-hmm. that side of him.
0: You well, know, that's one of those things that when you watch it the first time you're just like, you take it for granted. Okay. Londo's kind of goo goo eyed over this girl. What? So what? When you've seen the whole thing and then you come back and you see Londo being all goo goo eyed over a girl, it means more than it did the first time. I I don't think that gives anything away just to say, because we know these characters change and evolve and things happen to them. And it's just good to see him in this place. I think, I think that's good.
1: And, And if I recall correctly, this isn't the last time that this, this relationship is addressed. Right. That is correct.
0: Um, Okay, we were talking about doing a five-star possible rating for each episode. Now, I want to make clear, they're all pretty good. So getting a low number out of five is not necessarily saying we didn't like it or that it was bad so much as we are comparing it to what we know is coming. Okay? So these at least for me, my star rating is in light of what I know is ahead. So my rating for this episode was 2.5 out of 5. What did you rate it? I give it a solid 3,
1: simply okay. because I, I do enjoy the, the character of Londo.
0: There you go. Cool. Okay. Yeah, and again, I mean, if, if all we'd seen so far were the episodes that we've seen so far, I think I would have given it a higher rating. But knowing what's coming up, for me, it, yeah, it can't go beyond 3. I got 2.5, 3. That's, that's fair. Okay, let's move on to 104, Infection. And after we do this one, I'll thank our patrons, and then we'll do our last one, The Parliament of Dreams. Um, This is a very denigrated, slandered episode. It was the first one filmed, and so the actors were still getting their feet under them just for the first time, really, a lot of them. And it really is one that um, doesn't have a very good reputation with... um, with the, the fans or even with JMS. Um, f- again, do you want to summarize this one in a couple of sentences for us? Uh, I can, yeah, I can do that. The, okay. the, the A-plot was um, one of Dr., uh,
1: Fra- Dr. Franklin is introduced in this episode. Mm-hmm. One of his friends um, or one of his former teachers uh, is visiting the, um, the station. Uh, when he, what he is really doing, he's an archaeologist, is smuggling in some biotechnology. Um, the biotechnology, he, he goes to Dr. Franklin to try to, uh, to get Dr. Franklin's help to um, de- kind of decode the biotechnology, wake it up, see how it works. Um, he found this on a, on a dead planet. So it, it's, it's he, he considers it like a fossil, not a living thing, uh, no longer a living thing. Um, but his assistant uh kind of wakes the the uh, the biotechnology up and then it it kind of takes over the assistant and turns him into a bioweapon
0: who then goes on a rampage And all hell breaks loose all right that's good enough i just want people to kind of get a sense of which one we're talking about so that's that's very that's good so high point of the episode for you high point of the episode for me is uh dr franklin i love that
1: character um i love the actor i got a whole story about that uh we'll, we'll get on into some later point but cool. um i, I really I, I i i like seeing a little bit of his background and um i like seeing him uh, uh engage with um the, the the wider universe in this one In in this case being the you know the biotechnology i thought that was really cool
0: yeah no i i i always forget that that <laughs> That some of these characters are introduced slowly over the course of the season, and this is his first one. That's really cool. For me, the high point of the episode was at the end of the episode where Garibaldi sits down with Sinclair and says, survivors of the war with the Minbari a few years ago are looking for something worth dying for because it's easier than finding something worth living for. And I'm like, that sounds familiar. (laughs) So uh, I can't say anything else, but it was yeah. a really good scene, but it also is themes that we will return to again. So that was a good high point.
1: Okay. And oh, I, w- I will note that um, the biotechnology, mm-hmm. and this is a very tiny, subtle little detail, yep. but the biotechnology, the archaeologist is working for an earth corporation that wants mm-hmm. to turn this biotechnology into a, a weapon. Yep. And we'll see... That played out throughout the seasons, um, especially oh, yes. later
0: on. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, yeah, this episode, this episode lays more foundations than I remembered. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it lays down more stuff for the future than I would remember that it did. Okay, what was your low point? The low point is probably the, the creature effects. Um,
1: I thought <laughs> they were pretty cheesy. Yeah, and you know what? That that's going to be a theme going forward. They, and I think pretty much every episode, the low yeah. point for me is going to be, this sucked because the budget was so bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just that's just how it's going to go. I'm afraid, but yeah, yeah, it's true. Again, if you've watched any of the old Doctor Who, you're kind of used to that. But it's true, right? It's true. For, Doctor for- Who had a certain charm to their their low budgetness, <sighs> though. <laughs> I, well, I can find charm in some of this. But that's fair. That's right. Fair. The low point for me was anything involving the blonde curly-headed reporter because yeah, she was so ham-fisted. They they do let you know later on they do episodes with reporters coming and all that. It's a re- it's a theme that Mash used to do, and I feel like JMS kind of borrowed it from Mash. Maybe he didn't, but it is a but I've seen it on Mash before I saw it here. And he returns to it a couple of times, and it works much better later. But this lady just kind of blunders around, gets in the way, shows up in places she's not supposed to be, and kind of yells a lot indignantly. And yeah. I just and she has a really, really bad 90s hairdo. She does. And I just wasn't sure how I was supposed to take her seriously when all she does is just squawk. And never really does a lot of reporting or in-depth, you know, anything like that. Right. She she basically is there just to say, reporters are going to be annoying on this show, and that's that's fair. <laughs> uh, and I I think she was there to kind of
1: relay some of the uh, uh, world-building elements yeah. of like what's going on at home and stuff like that. But yeah, it is ham-fisted. I agree.
0: And the one exception I'll make is, the, is near the end when Sinclair tells her we have to go to the stars and kind of gives his little speech. And I thought if he was saying it to anybody I actually took seriously it would be even better. But at least he's kind of setting her straight. So that was cool. So, all right, what is your – do you have a Most Babylon 5 scene for this one?
1: I do, and you just mentioned it, is that okay. that uh, scene there with, with Sinclair. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. It, it, it kind of is the, the writer's working modern or at least – for that time, modern pol—well, it's still modern politics and modern political mm-hmm. discussion into the the episode, which is something that they do throughout. But uh, you know, everybody's always asking, "Why do we go to outer space? Why do we spend so much money on NASA?" And I thought that was kind of cool how he how that was worked in there mm-hmm. in the story, but also it made it relevant to anybody who was watching. I like that.
0: Yeah, that was good. I, I didn't think it was good. So even in an episode like this that has such a bad reputation there again, there's gems, there's jewels, you know, to run to, to note. Um for me, the most Babylon Five scene—if it's not Jakar being indignant, it's got to be Ivanova doing something because the two of them get like the most colorful scenes usually. When Ivanova steps in front of that reporter and says, "Don't—you're too young to experience that much pain." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of line Ivanova gets a lot as the show goes along. I think she gets yeah. better. She gets better lines but she's very good at threatening people. <laughs> she's everyone was like the queen of threatening people. And the actress
1: her delivery is so spot on that yeah. it it doesn't come across as cheesy. It comes across as <laughs> I'm not going to mess with this woman. Yeah, and it would've been so easy for it to be cheesy. Yeah, it so it could have been like an Arnie or, or a, a a Stallone line, you know, the, yeah. something like that. But no. She the way she gives it with a little bit of humor, yeah, but also a, backing it up with don't mess with me.
0: No, I agree. I think that was that was very good. Um, okay, favorite character moment. Uh,
1: my favorite character
0: moment was
1: um, when uh, Dr. Franklin was talking to the his archaeologist buddy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was neat. That, a little bit of insight into Dr. Franklin's character and how he, you know, he he thinks bigger. Thinks outside of just his lab. He's, you know, he's about you know science and stuff like that. I, 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 I love the character of Dr. Franklin. So any insight in, into that, and and he gets more more uh, more airtime later in the series with some really cool character moments. But I, yeah. I, th- I thought that was a neat little tidbit.
0: That was all right. I've got a, I've got my two. I got two. They're based on dialogue, which of course JMS does pretty well. Sometimes he repeats himself, but he's with but. Pretty well. One is at the very beginning when Garibaldi's buying the product from the alien in the in the hallway and he says it's either an aphrodisiac or a floor polish. And then later he right. buys it. And he says, It better not leave a waxy yellow buildup on anything. <laughs> that was pretty good. And then I think Sinclair had a good line where he said I was transferred to an outpost so remote you couldn't have found it with a hunting dog and a Ouija board. That's a classic Babylon <laughs> 5 line right there. That's that's pure yeah. JMS. That was really good. You can tell when they're Detilio episodes and when they're JMS episodes, I think. And this seemed like a JMS episode for all of its flaws, right? It it felt yeah. very JMS to me. Um, let's see. I have a couple of – I have a few random factoids here. And, again, if you want to note anything, you can. Um this was the first episode I actually filmed and JMS wasn't thrilled about it. I thought this episode has a very crusade feel to it. You know, when we get into Crusade later, it's about finding ancient technology ab- under abandoned alien worlds and this is pretty much where that's going. So, this episode not only talks about the uh, the organic technology and everything and lays a few other seeds for the f- so a few f- seeds for the future, it also kind of sets up Crusade. Would you agree? I would
1: agree. And, you, you know, that's a perspective I hadn't even thought of. But now that you mention it, I think that it, it, it segues
0: perfectly into Crusade. I think that um, David McCallum's character there, the the archaeologist, could have been on the Excalibur. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, IPX, Interplanetary Expeditions, makes its first appearance, but not its last. Um, Vance tells us it's a front for a bioweapon supplier company. I'd forgotten that. But because um, yeah. IPX pops up a lot. And the very first time it does, they go ahead and say, "Oh, it's just a front for a weapons supplier." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, right. dang, man, there went that." Go ahead and let us know <laughs> that up out the. So yeah, um, I get the feeling a lot of their employees don't realize that though, so because they right. just think they're doing work. Uh, let's see. You know, there's
1: couple. a yeah. there, there's a, a lot of cyberpunky feel to the the mm. to all the Earth corporations. Yes, absolutely.
0: Uh, Let's see, a couple other things. We talked about the alien technology. This, Like I said, the first episode where a reporter comes aboard, but not the last. Oh, this is interesting to me because it's the first episode written and filmed. They mention the night shift coming onto the command area, but we never see them. And early on in the discussion around this show, there was talk that there was a completely separate command staff that worked opposite hours from the one the show is about when they're off-duty. But they never show them, and eventually they just kind of drop that idea entirely. Because I don't remember like later episodes ever mentioning the night shift. It's always, you know, Sinclair or Sheridan and and Ivanova and whoever else, you know, Corwin. You never see like another commander or another second in command or anything, right? So I don't think they ever even mention that again. You know, I think that somebody should get with HBO Max
1: and mention (laughs) that this could be a setup for a cool animated comedy series based on the night shift.
0: Oh, Babylon 5 After Dark. I like it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That would be great. I mean, right. No
1: sci-fi series has done that before. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but it oh man the things that you could have going on with like londo brings some carnivore onto the station and it's chasing your car right. around and the <laughs> the the after dark staff has to try to track it down with flashlights and nets and stuff and oh i'm yeah. i'm a hundred percent in on that I'm down with that a hundred percent um let's see um Oh yeah, a couple other things. Garibaldi mentions to the reporter references to where he and Sinclair were on Mars walking across the desert. You actually can read that story in the first few issues of the DC Babylon 5 comic book. I have that around here somewhere. That was the very first storyline they did in the comic book was Sinclair and Garibaldi on Mars and while they're on Mars walking through the desert, they see something that I absolutely cannot mention yet. <laughs> but they do see something very important when they're stranded on Mars. So, Have you ever yeah. seen those comics, Andy? Uh, you know what? I haven't. I, I know what
1: you're probably talking about. I have not read those comics. Uh, I've heard mixed reviews of them. Yeah. Um, but I, I really ought to track those down, especially on Comicsology now. They
0: might be out there somewhere. They I'll have might. to see if I can't find them. I have to say, yeah, and um, you know, it may not be the first story, but some they only did like twelve issues, I think. Yeah. And they later on they later on they do a um, JMS himself wrote like a three parter later that I again cannot talk about what it's about. Um, But uh, but yeah, those were two. Those were I think the two best stories the comic book did was the one JMS did later, and then the Sinclair and Garibaldi one. The rest of them are bad art, bad writing, just you know throwaway side stuff. Right. Um, same as most of the early novels, which we'll talk about maybe someday. Uh, let's see one last, uh, one last, uh, thing. Oh yeah. I had a note here just in, I'm going to vaguely mention that Franklin refuses to let Vance get away with it and turns him in, but don't you know, he's going to get, let's let loose. I mean, the one thing we know about EarthGov already is it's a little shady, right? It's, a, right, little, it's right. a little shady. It's a little shadowy. And um <laughs> la la la. I didn't say anything. And so uh he's totally gonna get let loose. There's no way he's going to jail. Right. All right. So notable guest stars, there were two. David McCallum from The Man from Uncle is the uh yep. is the is Vance. Marshall Teague comes aboard and plays um Oh God, remind me who he played in this episode. I've kind of blanked out. I'm not sure. Who did he? Play? I'm trying to think. Um, I don't even know who played the reporter, and honestly, I don't care. But no. Marshall, Mar, well, Marshall Teague is in this episode. He goes, <laughs> on, he goes on to play a, a, an important Narn character later. So we'll see a lot of Marshall Teague. He pops yeah. up at conventions too. So God, he played somebody in this episode, and I'm just totally blanking out on it. it it's annoying me. Oh, oh, the the, I, the dude that gets covered in the technology, the main oh, bad guy. Oh, oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I the didn't main... know that's wow. I didn't even recognize him when he comes yeah. back as a
0: wow. Yeah, he's he's a, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's a good good All right, episode. Any, do you have any other tidbits? I don't. Okay, so um, I I'll give you my rating. I think this episode gets something of a bum rap. Some people consider it the worst episode in the series. I'm like, if this was the worst episode in the series, I'm fine because yep. <laughs> they're all better than this. You know, I liked it better than a lot. Of first season and a few other, uh, and at least one other season episodes. I thought this was just a good, straightforward sci-fi action story, and it introduces quite a few. I was surprised how many important things it introduces that we foreshadow for later or need to know about later. I yep. was just surprised how many, and so I gave it another two point five. The only reason I gave it two point five is again, a what's coming up later is so great, and b. Like you said, it does have some issues with the special effects and the costumes and all that. But honestly, I was prepared to give this like a 0. 0.5. This episode getting a 2.5 is a huge win for me for this episode. Yeah. So what did you think? I, I agree with you. I Like I said, I got
1: a whole new appreciation for this episode. Mm-hmm. I also give it a 2.5. I think the story was strong enough. If they, Could you imagine if they had like HR Giger type effects for this creature? Oh, yeah. How much more impactful the the a story would be um, so it, it the, the story alone g- gives it a 2.5 um, or a, a it, it could have been a three or a four easily if they if they had better
0: effects for that i agree i think that's absolutely valid okay uh let me pause for just a second because our shows don't have advertising you know everything that you hear um on our shows whether it be the White Rocket Entertainment Network or the AU Wishbone or the On Her Majesty's Secret podcast, they are all on the air because of people like you, listeners who want to help us stay on the air. And we have a couple of new ones this week. And so out of the various perks that you get for, for becoming a patron, uh, one of them is I thank all of our patrons on the air in the middle of every episode. And all you have to do to become one is just go to www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com. And click on the Become a Patron button. Or just go to patreon.com and search Van Plexico or White Rocket. It'll it all take you to the same place, I promise. And, and just sign up. And for as little as a dollar a month, I mean, that's not very much. You help us keep the lights on at White Rocket Studios. You help us pay the bills to put these things out in syndication and let you hear them and keep us going. Because we produce, Lord, we produce dozens and... Well, we probably produce a dozen or more episodes of all of our shows every month and dozens every year. And we've been doing this since 2012. As you heard, this is just already episode 534, just the ones that I produce. So we have to thank our patrons who keep us going and they include Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Samuel Salvatore, Bart Lindsey, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trewick, Susan Trewick, Tom Anderson, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Anne Kangian, A.U. Falling Up. Lynn, uh I'm having trouble with my tongue tonight. Ben Bloodworth, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Mississippi Tiger, welcome aboard, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf of the Weather Channel, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie, we got to get better at celebrating, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, I should have never let our listeners put their own names in on the board. Wilson Beard, <laughs> Winston Body, Alex Nguyen, Blake Karen, Boris the Tiger, Kato the Barner, Chris the Hilton. That's still my favorite thing that those three guys did. Colby Butler. And also Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, DiBama, Earl, yes please, Earl Ricks, Eric Mayhan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mayhan, Christian Thorvaldson, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Owl Rhythm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, we're almost there. Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Put. Pittman, Tony Perry, 76 Tiger Still Is. You'll notice there's a lot of Tigers in this because we have a lot of our Auburn show patrons on here. Auburn Elvis, there's another one. Ben Amos, Ben Regis, Brandon Smith, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Eilef, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright. Hey Kathy. Kenneth Brent Reigns, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, and finally, Paul Bankson, public landowner, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland. That's the truth, Ruth. Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Weagle87, Brant Rumble, Chris, plus, plus, plus Andy, our one time and anonymous donors we thank you all join their ranks be part of the white rocket family just go to www.b5review.com that's www.b5review.com and click on the become a patron button and come aboard today thank you so much all right are you ready to look at our final episode the parliament of dreams i am and you know i gotta say i keep expecting he
1: hate me to be somewhere on that list
0: (laughs) We got everybody else, don't we? That's a that's a pretty respectable little list, I got to say. I feel like uh, I'm very proud of. It's our impressive. patrons. It's oh, impressive. I'm so yep. proud of our patrons. They, well, we've got three complete networks that we have to pay for, so we have we we need <laughs> we need them to, to support right. us, and they do, and we appreciate it. All right, Parliament of Dreams. I guess I'll do a quick uh, recap. This is a very Jakar centric episode. We got the Londo centric episode first, and now we get kind of a Jakar episode. <laughs> Uh, although others are in it too. This one is interesting to me in that we see a side of Jakar that's different, right? Up until now he's been kind of the screamy, shouty bad guy alien. With you know, he's had some he's had some depth to him already. But this is the episode where you really get the first layers of depth, I think, for Jakar. You see him scared to death and desperate and angry and upset and vulnerable. All these things you wouldn't have guessed watching The Gathering, I don't think, that he's going to be like this. And he's funny. He's funny. And we meet Natath, who's funny, too. So that's the main plot. There's other stuff, too. but um, And and I'm just going to roll on into the high point. For me, this is the best Jakar episode so far. One of the best of the first season. He gets so many funny moments when he's stressed and put out because Andreas Katzlis plays that whole "oh, so great," you know, when he's like "oh, you know, I love it, I love it." We see the funny and devious Jakar. which is, a, and it's a nice counterpoint to the to the Londo centric "Born to the Purple." I like that. I like that we got both of those episodes in this trio because you got a Londo episode and now you get a Jakar episode and you, you, you kind of get more depth out of both of them separately here and then we kind of bring them back together as the season goes along. And I think my favorite, my favorite, uh, the high point for me is when they're, when the assassin is being put on the shuttle at the end and they quote him back and, and say, um, you will know pain and you'll know fear, and then you'll die. Have a nice flight. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. The two of them together, Toth. we get Toth and Jakar, and I, uh, which is, I believe, Julie Caitlin Brown, and you get the yep. two of them together shoving him out the door, and he knows he's about to get killed. I just thought that was, in, a, in an episode with lots of high points, that was probably my favorite. There's another, there's another thing that might have been a high point once, but I've become a little more cynical about it, so I'm going to see what you say, and then we can talk about it in a minute. So what was your high point? All right. My high point was uh the commander's uh relationship with his
1: uh you know I I I'm so horrible with names Catherine. I can't remember her name yes um, the scene where they where they first go out to dinner together and how nervous he is yeah um you, you can see it in his hands it's just so real i've been in that situation before and <laughs> it, it it just it just hit me and i thought that was really cool really well acted by by uh by both actors mm-hmm. um i i just
0: thought that was really cool i had a lot of fun with that I love Julia Nixon so much. I love her in Noble she, House, she, and I love her in this so much. Yep. she's She is so gorgeous, and she's a good actress. So, yeah, she's always welcome on my TV. I met her at Dragon Con um, probably about five or six years after the show went off the air when they bring in two or three people a year. And yep. at, the t- at the time I was dating, my girlfriend was uh, half Japanese, half American. And Julia Nixon is, is Eurasian and, and plays a Eurasian character on Noble House. And um, they had a really long conversation that was really—it was just cool to stand there while they had this really fascinating conversation, about, <laughs> you know, shared shared things, you know. And she right was non sci-fi things. No, right, yeah, just personal stuff. And it was she. She was just such a nice, nice person. And I was, and I always, I love to know stuff that these people, the sci-fi actors, do and that are not sci-fi, because they always are happy for a sci-fi geek to say, "Oh, I liked you in this," right? Like I told her, I said, oh, "I just loved you in Noble House." She's like, "Oh, thank you," you know. Like when I ran into. Um, Professor Bergman from Space 1999 um, at a convention, I told him I loved you in uh, The Winds of War and War and Remembrance and playing two different characters, you know, and he was just he, – he stops yeah. everything and talks to me about that because, like, it's always <laughs> Professor Bergman, Professor Bergman, and he's like, oh, I want to talk about that. You know, that's something I never get to talk about. So that's cool. Yeah, she was really, really nice. Um, okay, what was your low point of the episode? You know, I really didn't have a low point this episode. I thought ah. the entire episode was pretty solid. It's one of my favorite episodes. I've got two nitpicks, and I agree. I, I admit that they are kind of nitpicky, but I was paying a lot of attention. So I've, I've probably seen this episode more than any other first season episode. It's just it's for whatever reason, either I've started watching the series and at least gotten through this one before I got sidetracked, or I watched it all the way through and I saw it. And there was there have been other times that it's come up like when we were going to do the Babylon Five LARP. Um, Bobby Polite and I had a bunch of folks that were going to participate it come up for a practice thing at his house and we and he had the laser disc of this when it first came out and so we we all sat there on the floor like 20 of us and watched it together and we were all just like oh this episode's so great you know um, yeah so I've seen it a lot but to this I noticed something this time that I never noticed before two little nitpicks one is this is the lesser one okay the, the assassin tells Jakar that the pain givers will cause him to experience pain such as he cannot conceive of. Well, the problem with that is, he's already zapped him with them, right. So if he's already experienced it, how could it be pain he can't conceive of? Huh? I, I took that to mean that he could turn the dial up a little All right, all right. So in other words, he could go to 11. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But I just, when he said that, I'm like, but you just did it! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I told you it was a nitpick. Here's the other one. This is one that actually bothered me. It's it. It never bothered me before because the scene is so entertaining. When the when the um, when the Centauri are doing their party slash relig- their their religious ceremony is basically a party, right? It's just right. a drunken the, party. the old Roman tradition. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, by the way, that's why we had those people up to watch that episode. I forgot. Is because we were going to do. The LARP, and we did the LARP, the The Centauri amba- our Centauri ambassador hosted a party. So we wanted <laughs> nice. to watch theirs to see how we needed to decorate the, the, the panel room, you know, and what thing we needed to do. And so they had, like, there was a room at the Hyatt back when the Babylon 5, when Babylon 5 had its, uh, this is amazing, Andy. Babylon 5 used to have its own track at Dragon Con. Wow. Like four days of nothing but Babylon 5 programming in the same room. That's awesome. Yeah, and on, like, Saturday night, we had the LARP there from, like, 7 to 10. And they put up, like, uh, pastel, you know, curtains and scarves and things hanging down. And they had spray-painted things gold, you know, like um, candelabras and all that kind of crap that's very gaudy, like the Centauri. It was so great. I think it's on YouTube, honestly. I think if you go on YouTube, you can find... um, Our LARP, but I I don't recommend you do it because you'll see me like (laughs) fifteen years ago, and it's probably or twenty years ago, it's pretty embarrassing. Um, So that was the scene, though, because in the middle of all that fun, they start talking about exterminating the Zon, and it's on the surface that's a really funny conversation, right? What did the last Zon say just before he died? (laughs) 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 But Veer is enthusiastically cheering the genocide they committed against another race. And I'm like, from everything we know about Veer over the course of this show, how could he be doing this? How could he be like cheering and celebrating? Oh, we wiped out those entire beings, those sentient creatures. know, And I'm like, no. <laughs> and so it just, that was the thing that rung, rang false for me is that Veer would ever. Be this excited about killing anybody? So, but
1: you know what, I, I kind of liken that to uh, the westerns that we watched growing up and playing cowboys and Indians as kids. Okay, we didn't really think anything about, you know, the cowboys come in and shoot all the Indians. You know, that's yeah. just what they do. Played yeah. played an Indian, you fell over when you got shot by a cowboy. So, it is in such it's such ancient history, to veer that it, 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 you know it's like us making jokes about the the Spanish Inquisition. You know, yeah, it it was horrible, but that was you know two thousand years ago, so who cares?
0: Well, I will give you credit that you have tonight found legitimate excuses <laughs> for, <laughs> for what I'm objecting to. So I'll take it. I'll take that to the bank. But I still eh, I'm still not sure. Okay. I also have, by the way, I, I took the liberty of adding a a sort of gray point. Now this is where I say that. At one point, this might have been my high point of the episode, but now I'm almost tempted to make it my low point of the episode, except for Veer being a genocidal killer, <laughs> um, and and that is that at the end of the at the very end of the episode, uh, the big you know the big clever thing Sinclair does is to bring out a Muslim, a Jew, uh, an Orthodox, you know, a Christian, a Protestant, a Catholic, a, a Hindu, blah blah blah. Okay, I get what you're doing there, JMS. That's really cool. You're saying, look how diverse we are. It's our strength. That's wonderful. I have zero problem with that. That is wonderful. But the thing that bothers me about it is that the show is saying humans are the only ones that are diverse. And to me, that makes all the aliens on Babylon 5 into Star Trek aliens where they're all monolithic. They're all exactly the same. Like, it's that's always bothered. I think that maybe in recent Star Trek, they've started to get away from that. But for so long, Star Trek had, like, diverse humans, but all Klingons are like this, all Romulans are like this, all whatever are like this. They're all the same color. Yeah. They all have the same religion. They all think the same way. Every alien race is one thing, and we're diverse. And that, to me, the end of this episode played into that. And I, I I, thought that was kind of taking the easy way out by JMS. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, that is one of my favorite scenes. And I, I get where you're coming from, but that is a sci-fi television – that's a sci-fi trope in general. Yeah. I mean, you get that in any sci-fi, uh, episodic sci-fi, like even Star Wars and – especially star trek uh so that didn't bother me as much and i really enjoyed that he did highlight the diversity of of human religion uh, of of the earth religions i thought that was i thought that that played into the whole jms must be a very spiritual man because that Mm. that is one of the themes that runs throughout the entire series is spirituality and i thought that that played into that theme very well and, and highlighted that theme very well i thought that was great
0: I I felt the way you do every time until this time, but this time it just kind (laughs) of jumped out at me. But yeah, JMS is a confirmed atheist, but he also, he's kind of like Carl Sagan in that they both were atheists who saw the value in spirituality, Yep. right? They were never out to get it. Neither one of them have ever been out to get it. They just are like, I'm not personally buying this particular product, but I understand how it can be very important to have this product for a lot of people. And I respect that view 100%. So- Fair enough. Um, what do you have for your most Babylon 5 scene this time? Most Babylon 5 scene for me would be the uh,
1: the Minbari celebration. I thought mm. just the amount of f- foreshadowing and,
0: and world building that they put into that brief scene, I thought was really well done. You know, I'm going to say that my gray point of the episode was still the most Babylon 5 scene. I, I do think that having humans showing off all the different religions and everything— that's that's a very JMS thing to do and it's a very Babylon 5 thing to do even if it kind of bothered me this time I think that's still my uh, my most Babylon 5 scene yeah um, I,
1: I wavered between the two those yeah. two
0: scenes for my most Babylon 5 moment
1: so what about character moment any scene with Natoth in it especially <laughs> the scene where she where she rescues uh, Jakar yeah. uh, she is one of my favorite characters she's hilarious the actress is wonderful and she She's a lot like Ivanova. She pulls off the the casual badass, and uh, true. that scene when she rescued Jakar, I thought was very well played. The first time I saw that, you know, obviously now I knew what to expect, but the first time I saw that, I was convinced that she was the assassin.
0: Yeah, yeah, isn't that funny? You know, that's a good point. I wish that we had had a. I wish we had a scene of Natath and Ivanova just, like, having a drink together. That would be an interesting... Right. <laughs> I, I don't think we ever do, but it would have been an interesting scene, yeah. And, yeah. and Julie Caitlin Brown is interesting, too. She's more of a um, an agent than an actress. And so it was interesting to see her in the show because she represents a lot of those actors that are in the show. And, like, Dragon Con, this was funny, Dragon Con used to get bunches of Babylon five actors every year. And like one year they had like 15 of them. It was ridiculous. They had Cartagia wow. uh, there one year. <laughs> and, um, and you don't know who that is. I'm sorry, folks. And um, Andy does, but you don't. Um, right. But um, she was like, it was her, she was responsible for that because the, the, the dragon con organizers were in tight with her and, and she just got them all to come. So it was Natath <laughs> kind of, that was wrangling the actors for the, uh, for the conventions, which I always thought was cool. Um, I think that my favorite, cool. I think my favorite character moment is also a Narn moment, but it's when Garibaldi is in Jakar's quarters, bumping around, and he finds the women's underwear. And, yes. he, <laughs> and, and I love that Jakar is like waving them around with his finger, like not even realizing what he's doing, you know. Right, and and then ja- and Garibaldi says, "All right, well, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. But but Ambassador, let me just say one thing. And, and Jakar kind of leans over, serious, so like, yes. yes, What are you going to tell me? Let me say from the bottom of my heart that hot pink is definitely your color.' And we get one, <laughs> we get we get another one of those great Jakar. Oh, <laughs> any time that Jakar makes that noise is for me one of the highlights of the episode. I just love. <laughs> When he's somebody put out, somebody should do a supercut of all those of all oh, those sound bits. Yes, oh, they're so great. I love it. Um, one thing we do establish from this episode, along the characters' moments, though, is that Jakar would rather die than cry out in pain. He has that much pride and dignity. That's that's interesting. Okay, so go ahead and note that down, folks. And also, yeah. one other character thing I have to mention is I think you mentioned it already is Catherine Sakai with Jeff. Um, when we get past season 1, I can come back and mention something, but yeah, they are so great together. I love I love Catherine Sakai. I love uh, Sinclair with her. To me Sinclair is better with her than with any other actor on the show. I think he's good with Garibaldi, that's yeah, kind they kind of funny, but he's so good with her. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that was that was the top top thing. Um I got a couple just a couple of quick factoids. One is this episode won an Emmy for makeup design. Better this one than the last one, right? Because <laughs> there were a lot of aliens in this one and they all looked really good. So they didn't have any yeah. weird genetic monsters running around blowing stuff up. And I also made a note, I think that in again, this episode reminds me that first season Garibaldi is the best Garibaldi. That's arguable, and others that have watched the whole thing may argue with me, but I think first season Garibaldi is my favorite Garibaldi. Uh, Let's see. The only notable guest star is Julian Nixon, as I said, is Catherine Sakai. I will just note that Jeff Sinclair is Joe Straczynski, and Joe Straczynski's wife was named Catherine. Yeah. Catherine Catherine Drennan. So make of that what you will. Yeah. Episode rating, Andy.
1: Unless well, I want to else. point out that yeah. we, we both neglected to mention that this was the introduction of Lanier, who is a, a oh, fun character.
0: Oh, crap. Yes, it is Lanier. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Doesn't want to look up. She so um, has to tell him to look up, or he'll be forever running right. into things. Just, and, and the amount
1: of world building that they do in that in that little conversation was really cool, too. The Grey Council, Satai Delin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his shock, and, uh, oh, and yeah. why are you hiding that? And she's like, yeah. I have my reasons. Shut up.
0: Yeah, I'd have to answer yeah. some questions that would be uncomfortable answer right now. Let's just not worry about it right now basically. Yeah. Yep. What is the uh, great My counsel? rating? Hmm, interesting. My rating would be a a solid 5. This is one of my favorite episodes. Wow. Okay, well, slam yep. dunk, kaboom, kaboom. If I had my sound effects board up from the football show, I would give you a <laughs> or something. Yeah,
1: I and, and that's taking into account knowing what's coming down the line and the, the whole setup. I won't, I won't get into the final conversation Catherine had with with uh, Sinclair about the the Minbari ceremony, oh, um, because that's given a lot away. But yeah, I thought the world building in this was was awesome, and the setup for the future was awesome. A solid five for me.
0: Yeah, uh, I gave it a four, but. Again, we don't have to be on the same page about how we're putting them together. We're both saying this was really, really good. I, I gave this a four right. because it really for, for a, it, it is it is in the I would say it is in the top five first season episodes. It might be in the top two or three. There's there's some good ones coming up. There's some good ones yep. coming up. But this is one of the better, I think, first season episodes, and it absolutely deserves at least four. And I totally respect you giving a five. Absolutely. Um well Next episode, we are going to talk about Mind War, where a certain former Star Trek actor shows up, uh, I believe, for the first time. That'll be yeah. fun, and um, we will be uh, looking at the War Prayer, which is another, I think, kind of Londo Centauri-centric episode for this, for a certain to a certain degree. And we'll be looking at And the Sky Full of Stars, which is kind of a Sinclair. We don't get a lot of Sinclair-centric episodes early on. He'll get some more stuff later on, I believe. But this is like the first one where we really start exploring, there is a hole in your mind. So if you've been wondering what's going on with Sinclair, we're going to start getting some answers pretty soon. So you're going to tune in for that. Um, I do like that the first season kind of tries to give each of the main characters... At least an A plot, if not a B plot, and and we saw Ivanova with the B plot establishing her father and everything. And and by the way, I not, not this episode, the previous one, but I, I wanted to mention too. This just came to my mind when Ivanova talks to her father. They mention when her mother died, and they kind of hesitate. And I think it's interesting to note that they left it kind of ambiguous what happened to Ivanova's mother. So that's another thing that's kind of hanging there is. Whatever became of Ivanova's mother? We know that her father was estranged from her and didn't talk to her much until the end and everything, but whatever happened to, his, to her mother? Um, and, uh, and I think he mentioned Ganya, her brother, too, who was a pilot and, and fought on the line, So, alongside yeah. Sinclair. Any other thoughts about these three episodes or about what's coming up? You know what? I think we covered these three episodes pretty darn well.
1: Uh, I don't want to get too much into what's coming yeah. up because I want the people who are listening and have not seen them yet to
0: to go in with uh, with no expectations and a fresh mind. There you go. I think that this was good. I think we covered everything pretty well. Yeah, we brought up a lot. We brought up a lot of uh, of good. Foreshadowing and and some I, I give us I give us a good four stars on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what the what the listeners think. I do see that quite a few people have downloaded our first episode, so I think we've got a we've we've certainly picked the right time to start talking about Babylon Five with it coming on HBO Max now and being available yep. there. And so uh, I'm hoping to get some feedback from the listeners. So, all right. Well, and, I think you that – uh, I, I just want to say it's super cool to see in the, the Babylon 5
1: Facebook groups and such people that are coming into the series for the first time. Yes. Um, I think that's just uh, – because Babylon 5 for so long, it never was never on streaming. It was so hard to find. You had to pay out the nose for the, the DVDs. Or or whatever, but now it's actually it it's becoming a cultural thing again, and it's super yeah. cool to see Absolutely. that happen because Babylon Five never got its due. It never got the yeah. the Star Trek popularity, and and mm. I, that baffled me. And it and it's cool seeing maybe a little bit of resurgence in in the appreciation for
0: a new generation to appreciate it. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. I tell you what, um, I told you my friend Bobby Palete, uh he had. The laser discs of it, which God knows what he paid for those. I, yeah. had a, I had a handful of the VHS. I had recorded it when it was on TV. But I had a Same. handful of the bought VHS that were like $40 for two episodes, which was ridiculous yep. for VHS. Yep, through time life. And then I've still got – I think I probably got them at like Suncoast Video or something. And I've still got my DVD set back here. I've, I don't know if I've mentioned before. I've got this show on DVD behind me. I've got it ripped onto my Plex server. I've got it on iTunes. I've got it on um, HBO Max, obviously, with that app. And um, yep. some other way. It's, it's just universally available in my house. Way more ways than it, than it <laughs> needs to be. I have to decide every time, well, how am I going to watch it today? What, what am I gonna, how am I going to go about it? So I, I recorded every episode
1: when it got the mm-hmm. replay on TNT. Yep. Recorded every episode on, on VHS. Yep. And then uh, I, I had a, it was two per VHS and I had five seasons worth. Finally, when I got the DVDs, I, I went online and found somebody and, and gave them away for the cost of shipping, which was yeah. atrociously expensive, but he was happy to get the series commercials and all.
0: Oh wow, absolutely yeah. there was time that I'd have paid quite a quite a penny for that, no doubt. Okay. Well, I think that our new format seemed to work pretty good. I'm looking forward to getting some feedback and see if there's any other questions or topics people want us to cover. But otherwise, I think that'll do it for tonight. Thanks so much, Andy. I think it was good, and we'll talk to you in two weeks then. I appreciate it, Vane. I had a good time, and it's always good talking to you, my friend.